A reading from the first letter of Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thine is the glory. The strife is over. The victory is won. Help us to claim that victory and claim that resurrection hope. As we hear these words, inspired by the letter of 1 Peter, in which your spirit breathes, as it breathes through this sermon and in our listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So frequently on the main stage of today's worship, the second Sunday after Easter, we usually feature the one we call Doubting Thomas, so named because he refuses to believe that Jesus has been risen from the dead until he sees Jesus face to face, eye to eye. Today, we will not entirely remove Thomas from our proceedings, but he won't be central. We might instead call him Lurking Thomas today, because he will linger and lurk with us as we reflect on this opening chapter of 1 Peter. Instead of one person, Thomas, today we are going to focus on a community of believers who lived in the last decade or so of the first century. Uh, in the area that we call Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. From this letter to that community, we can infer that the members of this church, or gather these churches, these gatherings of Christian community, these were people who were suffering hardship because of their faith. Now, we don't think it was necessarily the brutal kind of persecution that comes to mind, like being thrown before lions in the Colosseum, but perhaps they were targeted, harassed, abused because of their belief and their practice. Perhaps they were pushed to the margins of economics and politics and cultural gatherings, otherwise just generally excluded from the dominant, dominant rhythms of that time. Through this letter, we can also infer that uh, their uh, practice before becoming Christian 
uh, was to enjoy deeply what we shall call the, the pleasures of life, and we can all fill in that blank. So that their newfound alienation or discomfort would be for them quite a challenge. In fact, later in the letter, we hear the phrase, fiery ordeal, and that's what it must have been like for them. But one remarkable attribute of this community, at least in the writer's eyes, was the way that they loved Christ without ever having seen him. They believed in him and rejoiced in him with, quote, an indescribable and glorious joy that was not dependent upon sight or seeing. Though the letter does not quote Jesus' words to our lurking Thomas, we might remember he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Well, that was this community or these communities in Asia Minor. Indeed, love beyond sight is the emphasis of this sermon. It is the sermon's title. It's also, I learned, the title of an out-of-print romance novel featuring one of those brooding and shirtless muscle men on the front of a book, which on the back has a very overwrought description, like, quote, when, when Eden awoke in a mental hospital, she was nearly discovered by a demon, but a comforting voice in her mind offered safety, and so on and so forth. I think I'll stick to the sermon. <laughs> Supposedly, the book is coming back into print, so depending on how you feel about this sermon, you can, you can read it. <laughs> but as with this fictional Eden of that fictional book, it may be hard for us to relate to this group of first century Christians or this letter written to them, largely because our faith does not relegate us to the margins of contemporary society. Sure, our neighbors, our friends, perhaps many of our family, may not understand our Lord have mercies, but they're not mercilessly mocking us for them either. And there's much in this letter that does not speak to our language or our understanding of this world, especially those verses that call for slaves to obey their abusive masters or for wives to obey their husbands. That's a good one. <laughs> um, nonetheless, I want us to circle, bold, highlight, otherwise emphasize the fact that this early group of Christians loved Jesus and when I say loved, I don't mean in a warm, glowing kind of way. They agape loved Jesus, the Greek word for emptying themselves out, offering their lives to him in such a way that took them from the life of the party to the scorn of the masses. Unlike the Eden of forgotten fiction, these Christians were not hearing comforting voices telling them that they were his, but that they would never meet their lover. It was the fact that they just simply believed, they loved, even though they could not see. So if the writer of 1 Peter were here today and scanned you all in the pews at Westminster, would he or she find that love beyond sight in our midst? I believe he or she would. The vast majority, at least, of you are here today, not because you have to be, but because you want to be. You want to come together and celebrate Christ with our hymns and our liturgies and to join in the fellowship of our worship and mission 
and Christian formation. You are here willingly to seek the gifts of this table and partake of bread and wine through which the Spirit, Christ, is made present in our midst. Christ, whom we have never seen in the flesh. Many or most of us here at some point in our lives have confessed Jesus as Lord, or we've done so on behalf of children who are not yet able to make that confession themselves. Not because we have seen with our eyes, but because what has been shown to us and has arisen in us, whispered and exclaimed to us as we have made our way through this life. This loving beyond sight infuses our life together. Indeed, yesterday, around 15 to 20 of us were extricating hundreds, literally hundreds of pounds of straws, plastic water bottles, cans, discarded potato chip bags, and much, much more from the muddy banks of the Potomac River. We did that out of love for people and creatures and life that we will likely never see. Likewise, this church dedicates significant resources and attention and care to vulnerable children in Kenya that only a few of us will have the chance to behold face to face. Loving beyond sight is an essential practice of our church. And this practice, I believe, is only going to become more important in a world where we cannot trust what we actually do see and a world where we find ourselves less and less able to see at all. Now, at the risk of being typecast as the preacher, who every time he stands here has to talk about artificial intelligence, I'm going to do that again. I continue to be wowed and worried by the technologies of artificial intelligence, what they can do with words and texts, but increasingly with visual media like pictures and videos. If you followed this news cycle recently, you have seen the fake but realistic looking images of Pope Francis in a puffy white jacket. Prompted in part by that image, a recent Times article asked, can we no longer believe anything that we see? And in that article, the author placed photos one side generated by artificial intelligence, the other a real, honest-to-goodness photo, and asked readers to click on which one was the fake, or which one was real, I can't remember. And there were some tells, there were some ways to distinguish between the real and the fake, distorted hands, some confusing signage in the back, but the similarities were really close, and that technology is only going to get better. It also featured a video uh, generated by artificial intelligence in which a, a, a deep fake, that is, a computer-generated video of a woman, looks into the camera and says, we are only at the dawn of artificial intelligence, and already the lines between real and fiction are becoming blurred. A world where shadows are mistaken for the real thing. In our ever-fragmented world of social media consumption, we can only imagine what havoc this may wreak on the dissemination and the embrace of truth, of what is real. 
In such a world where seeing is disbelieving, the capacity to love that which is true beyond the confirmation of sight becomes increasingly important. Again, our lurking Thomas reminds us how he wanted to believe Christ by seeing him, but what happens if what he saw was not to be believed? What happens when he can no longer trust what he sees? What happens if we cannot see at all? In an article published after his return to China after a long absence, Thomas Friedman writes that with very few American reporters left in China, our leaders barely talking, relations between our two countries have soured so badly, so quickly, and have so reduced our points of contact that we're now like two giant gorillas eyeing each other through a pinhole. Friedman warns that nothing good can come from this. Beyond fake photos and videos that obscure the truth, the inability to even see beyond ourselves can, as Friedman states, threaten our ability to live peacefully in this world. If we can no longer see each other, he says, some other currency must be nurtured and supported to save us from mutually destructive conflict. For Friedman, that currency is trust, which, as he quotes George Schultz, is the coin of the realm. I propose today that trust and love are two sides of the same coin. For love disintegrates and dissolves without trust, and trust is bolstered by love. And holding this coin may not provide a solution to the very complex challenges we face with China and all else in our lives. But trust and love are, or may be, the currency that we, the faithful of this century, may grasp to see ourselves through seasons when we may not be able to see beyond our challenges and our uncertainties. Our forebears in Asia Minor were called to trust the Christ they loved beyond sight, a trust that would lead them in that love through their sufferings to the revelation, that is, the revealing of their salvation. Peter's letter offers that community an assurance that if they stick with that love, that love beyond sight, they will see their salvation. And he offers them a few habits, practices, I'll call them therefores, that they can do to keep them loving beyond their sight. The first of these was to prepare their minds for action, literally to gird up the loins of their minds. Those, excuse me, through the trust and hope of resurrection, those who cannot see Christ can put their minds to action and bring Christ into vision. And all I have to say to that is, see also Anne, who loved beyond sight, who loves beyond sight. So gird up, Westminster, make your plans for action. Maybe join us on Rebuilding Together on April 29th. If you are an elder or a deacon, join me seated on the front rows and say yes to the invitation to serve communion in May.
be a youth advisor or youth sponsor on mission trips, fellowships. Join the meals team and provide food to families and loved ones of our church who are going through times of recovery and need. And in the weeks to come, the nominating committee is going to call some of you. Gird your minds to think about saying yes. The second, therefore, that we may employ is discipline. Discipline. You probably thought now that we've passed through Lent and all that talk of Lenten disciplines and all those habits that we will be done with discipline. But it may be that resurrection is just the time, just the season for discipline. The way First Peter actually employs the term discipline, in Greek it means stay sober. And the concern here may indeed be too much wine, but it could be anything else that dulls us or keeps us from being alert to what is true and real, dulls us into seeking or going after falsehoods and distractions. I'm sure there are some of you here who watch the TV show Love is Blind. I won't make you raise your hand. But it's a reality show where young men and women are placed in these isolated pods and they can't see each other, but they can talk. And the goal is to see if by their talking and connection they will fall in love, find their soulmate, even get married, which some of them have. Though the producers are right in thinking that by stocking these pods with, shall we say, a beverage, these drinks may enable connection or at least entertainment, for the writer of 1 Peter, such dulling substances work against love beyond sight, not for it. So I just gently invite you to consider for yourself that which may dull you, dull, D-U-L-L-U, from love beyond sight. It may be a substance. It may be a bad habit. Discipline yourself to stay alert instead. And the third, therefore, is really a summation of all that's come before, which is this. Set all, all, pentos, all of your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. And this may be the hardest because it requires the greatest amount of trust. Trust that the ways of God's love in Christ, which are often harder to see, are a greater refuge and a greater certainty than the falsehoods that are so visible to us in this world. The Apostle Paul writes that we walk by faith and not by sight. So as Thomas and his lurking need to see moved within us and around us, let us gird our minds for action. Let us be sober and disciplined and alert. Let us set all, all, all of our hope on God's grace in Christ, trusting that just as all of the pages of this book lead to revelation, to the lifting of the veil that brings sight to shrouded eyes, we too shall see the one whom we have loved beyond sight, one whose love is deeper than any deep fake. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, said Jesus. And blessed are those who believe, for they will come to see. Thanks be to God. Amen.